0: Okay, why is that on the screen now? Hmm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Liberty Experts podcast. I am not here with David today. David is busy doing uh, objectivist liberty stuff, uh, and uh, so I'm here with Manuel Pasquale once again. Or Pasquale, I always ask you how to pronounce your name. I always
1: you it's always tell me I was
0: Pasquale. Pre- yeah, I got it right. Look at that. So Manuel, you have been on this uh, podcast before to talk about uh, the world wars and to kind of dismantle some of the myths about them and and talk about um, uh, the reality. And uh, recently, David and I have, have done a little bit of podcasting on fascism. Um, I have an acquaintance who has gone from libertarian to fascist. Uh, that's how he describes himself and and i recently met up with him and um so it, it was very interesting to hear the fascist mindset you know i'm very interested in what leads someone towards this philosophy but you reached out to me you saw the first part of that podcast the second one hasn't been released yet you haven't seen it uh where i where i talk about exactly how that meeting went and some of his arguments and and uh his thought processes But you reached out to me and said, hey, I've got a lot to say on the subject, and uh, you're a very well-read and studied guy. And so I thought, let's have Manuel on uh, the Liberty Experts podcast uh, to employ his expertise on fascism. So welcome, Manuel. Thanks for for joining me.
1: Thank you, Tim. Again, I'm uh, very glad to be here.
0: Excellent. Okay, so let's start with definitions. What is fascism? Because there's a lot of confusion about this.
1: Yes, I I, I was rightly looking at if we could have maybe a definition directly from the web uh, to have what other people have to say about it. Uh, Here if I'm on the Merriam-Webster website, fascism is by definition a political philosophy movement or regime such as that of the Fascisti. That exalts nation and often race above the individual, and that mm-hmm. stands for a centralized autocratic government headed by a dicta- dictatorial leader, severe economic and social reglementation, and forcible suppression of opposition. Right. So I think this definition kind of makes sense, but it's still probably not the only definition uh, that exists Uh, for me, my in with my own intuition of what I know about uh, philosophy, I would say fascism is a kind of mix of it's clear fascism is is clearly a a statist ideology that is uh, obviously opposed to liberalism. I had here a quote of uh, Benito Mussolini uh, that said himself that fascism is definitely and absolutely opposed to the doctrines of liberalism, both in the Mm -hmm. political and economic sphere. So it's clearly not uh, a pro-freedom close to libertarian ideal thing.
0: Right. Yeah, and 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 the other thing I would say is, you know, in in speaking with with my uh acquaintance there who is now a fascist, uh, you know, he he was talking about he had this kind of seething hatred towards liberalism and he w- lumps libertarianism under the umbrella or rubric of liberalism as well and says that this philosophy of universalism and individualism has what's led to the lack of order, the chaos, the the degradation of, um, of the order of things, I guess. Yeah. And so libertarians are in league with Marxists in a sense to, uh, to undermine what he regards as the order of civilization, you know, but what I found ironic and is that he was making universal truth claims while uh, trying to undermine universal truth claims, yeah. right? And so he, he <laughs> argues that universalism is bad. Well, that's a universal statement. That's exactly to say that. Right? And, and so it's it's not a coherent philosophy. And so I, I would say another hallmark of fascism and other scholars that I've read and listened to on this is that it is an irrational philosophy. They embrace emotionalism. They embrace this, uh, you know, blood and soil like mm-hmm. something that appeals to, to one's emotions. Right. And, you know, even, you know, uh, uh, Evola, for example, is, a is kind of a, a pseudo fascist that a lot of fashion, he, he's a, he's a scholar that a lot of fascists like to, um, to read and espouse and Evola, uh, is also an occultist. He's a mystic, right? He, he believes in magic of sorts. And so, I think that there's a high degree of irrationality, emotionalism um, and magical thinking yeah. intertwined with this and I guess there would kind of have to be They, they, I, I feel like a lot of the elements of fascism are in all in all statists it's just that fascists make it very explicit and embrace it and yeah. own it and are proud of it. You but know? As
1: you said every statist, every collectivist believe in something that is an abstraction which is society the state or the social contract things that right. don't exist concretely only individuals exist when a nation a state as i said that it's not something that is concrete so for a fascist clearly the individual is below the collective so uh, just what right from the start i always want to make a disclaimer uh you you probably heard me the, said that many times but Let's be clear. I'm not a fascist. I don't support fascism here. Uh, Like you, I'm a libertarian anarchist who believes in property right and the non-aggression principle. But today we're going to show that in some way because I understand why some people may be attracted to fascism. The same way I could understand why some people have been attracted to communism in some uh, specific time of, of history. So right now, for me, the reason I would say that people I think I attracted to fascism because fascism, as I said, is a, it, for me it's a mix of statist autor- authoritarian, but sta- fascism is clearly anti-communism and anti-Marxist. Fascism right. historically was a reaction to. The threat of communism and uh, Marxism, and if we go even before the twentieth century, uh, do you know? Do you know a little bit uh, the French history of the nineteenth century with the the uh, la la commune de Paris, the the Paris commune in eighteen seventy, or the reign of uh, Napoleon the Do you know a little bit about it?
0: Uh, I know a little bit about that, but uh, fill me in on the details okay. you think are important.
1: Because Karl, Karl Marx wrote wrote uh, an essay. It has the name, I think, the, you know, the, the French Revolution used to have different names for months. Uh, I think it was the... something like... It was a number. I think it was the 18 Brumaire... Of Louis Napoleon, what happened is that in uh, well, you know a little bit that well, France had a revolution in uh, a- 1789. The revolution brought transformed France from a uh, from uh, an absolute monarchy to a uh, a monarchy with a constitution then they became a re- more radical they became a republic then a war erupted because all countries around around France declared war because they saw the the the, the ideals the cer- certain good ideals of the french revolution as a threat to absolute monarchy so there was a war then the regime radicalized they had the terror then the terror ended with, um, like, a corrupted uh, dictatorship. Then Napoleon I came, but the wars continued. The wars were kind of a mix of, on a, uh, Me, it's the way I see it, I don't pretend it's total truth. It's my interpretation. In a sense, France was attacked by the rest of Europe. But in a sense, France had also imperialist ambition to against others so it was not it was sure. not good against evil the right. idea that Napoleon was the total evil and the rest of Europe were that word the angel is silly but it's often what is uh, presented so you had Napoleon the first then it's and then re- they restored uh, a few King then they had a king that was because uh, uh, they, they had the the, the thing that the two the two other brothers of Louis XVI came after Napoleon the First. Then in 1830, you have a kind of revolution, another revolution in 1830s, that brought another kind of king that was a lot more liberal. But the 1830s, 1840s, the, the socialist ideologies started to uh, get some grab in the people. So... In 1848, you got some revolution in Europe, and in France, it brought uh, Louis Napoleon to uh, Louis Philippe Ier's uh, regime to an end, and they had the Second Republic in 1848. But there was really a fight, I would say, between the socialists and the non-socialists. So then, I think uh, the, the nephew of Napoleon the First. Uh, which was named Louis Napoleon Bonaparte. He became then president of the French Republic. But then, I think in 1852, he became an emperor. So it was the the second or, uh, or the third the third Empire, or something uh, with Louis Napoleon. And Karl Marx, what he said about that is that the reason why the the French bourgeoisie chose a dictatorship rather than a democracy. It was because they were afraid of the working class that wanted that wanted socialism. So for me, because I I took a course at university on Marxism and the teacher was (laughs) absolutely a Marxist. And the thing it was at that time I was also a Marxist. He said that it was the regime of Louis Napoleon the Third was what he called proto-fascist what is in in the sense that he said that the bourgeoisie it's it's a marxist point of view the bourgeoisie will always prefer a liberal democracy because it shows that the relation between class are kind of semi-voluntary that people are free under capitalism but when the 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 when their private property is threatened, they're going to recourse to the dictatorship. Of course, all that is from, is from a point of view that is very socialistic and believe in democracy, sure. which is not my case. I don't believe in democracy. I don't believe in socialism. But this example of 18, uh, in the 1850s up to 1870, because that erupted uh, the, the reign of uh, Napoleon the, the III, Ended with the war with Prussia because the guy Napoleon III was not was not very intelligent, I think, and he got insulted by something Bismarck said, I think, and he declared war to Prussia. But Prussia under Bismarck crushed the French army in 1870. It's where they gain Alsace-Lorraine. But the people of Paris revolted because. During the war, the condition was not not funny, and they the, they brought the, the, the commune of Paris that lasted a few months, and I think they killed a few priests and a few uh, a few bourgeois politicians. And then the commune
0: of Paris killed the commune killed of them? Paris. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I didn't say. And that, that was and that that was a socialist or communist commune, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right, and again.
1: What Marx said is that the, the, the commune of Paris was crushed not by, I think, the French army, but by the Prussian army. And what he says is that the French bourgeoisie preferred to be invaded by the, the Prussian army right. than being conquered by, its, uh, by the French working class. Right. And in a sense, he's not wrong if you have legitimate private property and some communists want to confiscate it and some mercenary are ready to defend your legitimate private property you will sure. use it because both of us we believe in private property yes but where when we come to the, the this example was that marx called it uh, or the marxist of the, of the 20th century called it the, the this this uh, episode with uh, the the french uh, the communes of Paris with uh, Louis-Napoléon Third and uh, the, the Prussian army crushing it. He called it proto-fascism in the sense that, as I said, the French, the bourgeoisie will prefer a dictatorship if its private property is at risk. Right. Now, me, the way I see the, the fascist regime of the 20th century, whether it's uh, Hitler, Mussolini, Franco in Spain, Salazar in Portugal and probably many, a few others, is that it's a reaction against communism. It's a reaction sure. against the threat of communism. Had there been no communist threat in, had there been no Russian revolution in in, in uh, 1917, I mean, the Russian revolution that brought Lenin to power, not the one that brought uh, Kerensky, but... Had there been no communist threat in the nineteenth, uh, in the twentieth century, you would not have seen those fascist regimes. Hitler would. Hitler would. Hitler got support from the 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 the, the German, let's say, uh, industrial class because he was against uh, communist uh, communism, and he was not proposing uh, a radical seizure of private property. Mm. So I think that's why people are attracted. Right now, there is a threat. the the the, the radical left, you know, the Bernie Sanders, who's probably maybe uh, nominated for the Democrat uh, nomination. Some people see it as a threat. Those radical leftists, the fact that uh, we're losing freedom of expression, we're losing uh, in Canada, you know, gun rights, all that. Some people are afraid, and you know, if you're not. Some people may have values that, you know, uh, if, you, if, if you don't like the, 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 the LGBTQ, all that things, a fascist, I understand that a fascist regime could be, could be attractive. And if I came here, I wanted to read, because Ludwig von Mises, and let's be clear, Ludwig von Mises was not a supporter of fascism. He escaped Nazi Germany because the Nazi. Uh, were against him. Yeah. So, Ludwig von Mises said the following. It cannot be denied that fascism and similar movements aimed at the establishment of dictatorships are full of the best intentions at their, and that their intervention has, for the moment, saved European civilization. The merit that fascism has thereby won for itself will live on eternally in history. I think he said that in the 1920s. He also said, But though its policy has brought salvation for the moment, it is not of the kind which could promise continued success. Fascism was an emergency makeshift. To view it as something more would be a a
0: fatal error right so, yeah and, and I, I think it's also important to note that mises was a, a sharp opponent to fascism and even absolutely. to nationalism in uh, I, I think it's his book was it liberalism I'm trying to remember his uh, his book but he he is very critical of collectivism and he he yeah. throws nationalism in that camp and and not the kind of civic nationalism that some people uh, talk about where where it's like okay Canada first or something like that it's it's his nationalism the, the nationalism he was talking about was the kind that Hitler and most fascist fa- most nationalists do which is nationalism um, seeks to dominate right it, it it's not content to stay within its borders it wants to dominate you know this was true under Hitler with his philosophy of Lebensraum where they wanted to expand the nation state so that they could they could be totally self sufficient right and yeah. of course no nation the problem with nationalism is that no nation can be totally self-sufficient in in today's modern economy. We need international division of labor to get the things we need. And so if you want to be totally self-sufficient, yes, you have to expand your empire and expand the nation state to encompass eventually everything so that that the division of labor is all within your national borders. But anyway, sorry, I digress there.
1: But fascism today is seen as a very evil ideology by most normal, nor, what we call normies, which most people that are statist, they see fascism as very evil. They are right, fascism and evil, but they are not right for the, the good. The reason why fascism is evil for us, it's because it's a, it, 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 it rests on the violation of the non-aggression principle, it's a statist ideologies. So more, most people that oppose fascism, in fact, support and just another flavor of fascism. Because what the regime o- w- under which we live right now in Canada, is in some way very close to fascism. Because right. fascism on the and maybe you could you could uh, now show the the image that I sent you where you see the face of the. the the different degree from uh, Marx to Hans-Hermann Hopper. Maybe you could just show that picture. Yeah, I I, I like very much that picture because it's it's so that you know, right now we don't live in Canada in a in a communist dictatorship. You know, we we have the right to some limited kind of private property. Uh, We can start a business. We can own a land, but in many ways, we have to do what the government tell us to do with it. You're not free to do what you want with your, prop- your, with your property. You can sell it under some condition. You can transform it, build it, but always with a permit or a license. And essentially, under fascism, that was that. Under, yeah. In Nazi Germany, you could own a business. You could, not, you could own a land. Uh, you know, if you if you were not happy in Nazi Germany, you could leave. That's why I hate to say that, but uh, fa- fascist regime and Ludwig von Mises clearly said it in uh, in an, uh, in another article. I think from uh, it's the article that we often see uh, on Facebook. It's uh, it's an article uh, by I think George Reisman where he said that. Na- fascism, Nazism, and communism are all totalitarian, that socialism is totalitarian. But in fact, we live under a, so- a socialist uh, regime. It's just that the degree is not as much as it, as it was under Stalin or maybe uh, under some, the, some period of, uh, of the Nazis. But people don't realize that sure. we are living in that well,
0: and, and and so I mean that that might describe why we're seeing more and more self-described fascists emerging yeah. now, right? It seems like the left has taken over, like you said. Uh, that this is kind of a reactionary force against what's happening, exactly. Um, because exactly. Uh, you know the left wants a completely flat society, right? No hierarchy whatsoever. Um, that fascists notice that societies work better in a hierarchy. And as a libertarian, we see natural hierarchies, right? We, we see a, a hierarchy of competence and value creation as opposed to what the fascist would like. And my friend here, uh, the fascist, says, uh, you know, I would prefer to have an aristocracy that is a uh, uh, warrior priest aristocracy. Someone who can fight and who is attuned to the spiritual kind of irrationalism, uh, blood and soil and and whatever the mystic kind of sense he's talking about. Now, in my ideal world and yours, it's like, okay, people who are billionaires in one sense can be seen to be at the top of a hierarchy in Mm -hmm. some way. But they're up there because they're very competent at providing people a value. And we're talking about a hypothetical free market here, yeah. uh, not a crony capitalist society where we have, billionaires um who are billionaires because they're able to use the power of the state to prevent competition and to to get subsidies and and to get money funneled their way. but w- we can expect there to be people who are very well off who yeah. are uh, you know, and and that's because they're able to provide incredible value to people, and uh, they they have a level of competence, right? And they don't yeah. control your life, and it's a voluntary. No relationship and so that that is a type of hierarchy i you know and even you know i i used to think it would be ideal to to flatten the hierarchy I, I did a grad degree in leadership in in the fire service in fire departments and i realized no hierarchies are a necessary part of this right and it's not that it's a power hierarchy wherein the commander is controlling his pawns on the fire ground it's like a hierarchy in vision in a sense it's like we need someone with that 30,000 foot vision that sees the whole scene in general. Then we need someone slightly below that who sees a part of the scene and who can relay that information to the, to the guys right down at the bottom of the hierarchy who are actually doing the work who need that information from all those levels above in order to do their job effectively. And so Mm. it's a hierarchy of competency of need of value to, uh, you know, and, and so, um, and so there's nothing wrong with a hierarchy like that per se. And actually my, my thesis was based on the, the best leaders in the fire service saw themselves as servants. They were serving the guys uh, doing the actual job. The worst ones were the ones who micromanaged everything. Those, those uh, systems fell apart very quickly. The fires lasted longer. People were put in jeopardy. It was, they were not good scenes. And so, um, and so, to me, that would be the difference between kind of a fascist hierarchy where you have this exactly. dictator at the top trying to control the levels of hierarchy under him versus uh, a leader who's a servant, who's providing value to those who uh, he serves, so to speak, if that makes any yes, sense.
1: I agree. But you said that communists don't want any hierarchy. But right. unfortunately, to get a communist, well, you need an absolute Hierarchy with an absolute power yes because of
0: course yeah it's, that's it's a delusion
1: communism, communism is so evil so destructive so contradictory they say they want total equality but to achieve that they need that a group of power uh, of people have ultimate power than even a capitalist billionaire would not even sure. have of course
0: of so course it's yeah so
1: and I, when, when a thing I wanted to say about that topic today is that, is that it's clear that, as, as you just said, that uh, our, our ideal is a libertarian world with the kind of hierarchy you just described that is voluntary and economically very productive. That kind of hierarchy with its voluntary, it generates wealth and prosperity, which was not so much the case of the hierarchy of the fascists. But still, and Ludwig von Mises mentioned it, he recognized that the, the fascists were a lesser evil compared to communists. And I agree right, with right. that. And it's Now, let me, let
0: me ask you this, though, Manuel. Um, we pointed out that Mises recognized that fascism may have been a necessary temporary pushback against that leftist evil. Do you think that's true? And do you think that we need that today?
1: I don't know, because... As I have learned in history, when you use the state, when you use the power of the state to solve a problem that more often is caused by the state itself, you have unintended consequence. That's the reason why I I oppose the intervention in World War II from a Western standpoint, because uh, but first, I'm convinced that the, the Nazis were not a threat to uh, to the West. But by intervening against the Nazis, we spread communism. It's clear that the, the intervention in World War II by the West, especially by the United States, enabled Stalin to conquer half of Europe and especially enabled Mao Zedong to conquer China in uh, 1949. You know that... The China uh, Mao in China probably killed something close to between fifty and seventy-five million Chinese people.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Communists were were the worst for sure. The
1: the Nazi killed a few million people when they realized they're going to lose the war. They were angry. They said we're going to make pay. We're going to make the Jews pay. That, that's evil, but for me, as I said, that would not have had happened. I'm sure the Holocaust was a war crime. No war, no Holocaust. But it, what the Nazis did compared to what the communists did is right. yeah, it, no. tiny uh, in peacetime because fascist regime like the Nazis in peacetime, uh, under Adolf Hitler from 1933 to 1939, it was it it was a society that was in in many ways close a lot closer to what we have in North America in in many ways. Right. I'm not saying I'm not praising it, but you could own as I said you could own proper, property. If you were not happy, you could leave. You could sell. I mean the... The Jews were welcome to, to, to leave. Uh, I think you could, even on gun control, you could own a gun in Nazi Germany. There is, a, I, I read a book that is uh, an exact copy. It's a translation of the uh, the gun laws of uh, under the Nazis. And you could own a gun. Yes, there were restrictions to Jews. And that's evil, of course. Right. And I don't even think that gun control by the state should exist. If there is, if gun control should ever exist, it should be by the insurance companies. But where I wanted to say is that we we, we live in a reality that sometimes we don't have the choice. Uh, if if you were in nineteen forty, and if in nineteen thirty-five, I throw I throw you back in time in Europe, and you have the choice to be in Berlin or Moscow. Will you just say, oh, I'm a libertarian purist and I don't want to yeah. support yeah. any of those? And I agree, you don't have to support morally any of those. But unfortunately, but you got to live for survival. in the material
0: reality. Yeah, you got to do something for survival. You know, it's like going into a prison, right? And, um, you know, on your own, you might get... Uh, you might have a really rough time you might get beat up you might get killed and you realize okay well even though i don't like these white aryan brotherhood or whatever um they're the only people that will help protect me from, yeah, that's from sad. predators. yeah and that's sad and that sucks and you know part of me and it's a difficult thing for me to grok and you know i talked to my acquaintance about this is um you know, I, I vehemently disagree with him. I think his ideology is is kind of sick and twisted. I think he's going down a dark path. I mean, he's hanging out with ethno-nationalists and, and working with these guys while he has a black wife. And to me, that is almost like unforgivable. And He has a black wife. He has a black wife and he's, he's holding court and having common cause with ethno-nationalists. And he considers himself, I think, an ethno-nationalist too. He wants a primarily white uh, nation with exceptions obviously for his wife and yeah. <laughs> certain things right but but, laugh,
1: but I have a friend one of my best one of my best friend who's a libertarian like me and it's it's a reason why I'm a friend with him he's also he likes video games and uh, he likes those kind of things that we do he, he even has his, his own uh, little youtube channel the guy is black he's, he's asian okay and he told me once that pragmatically if tomorrow there was an a white ethno state, but that it would be the only black that would be welcome into it, he would pre- he would probably be interested to go there because he told me I'm it's sad to say, but I'm sure that the size of the state would be smaller there.
0: Yeah, maybe it's yeah. it, it's it's hard to say, but like you know, I don't know. I, Ethno states tend to have big governments. They have to. I right, agree. To I agree. They have I to agree. remove private property. They have to do all yeah. sorts of egregious things. Yeah. But I guess the point I was getting at and, and the disturbing thing to me and what I said to my friend is like, I, I'm, I can concede that perhaps your reactionary ideology is necessary evil, let's say, to fight a greater evil. And that you know, at the end of the day, like the people that are coming after me that constantly decry me as racist, as evil, as bad, who want to do violence to me, they're all on the left. And the only way I can survive and my family can survive is to throw in with these degenerates who I despise. Well, I guess I'm going to have to throw in with them. Uh, But I said, once that, once that war is done, you and I are going at it. And, you know, one of us is going to be left standing because I won't live under fascism.
1: That's, that's the, 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 the two thing that I've divided But is there a third way?
0: Uh, I was going to ask, Is do you think there's a third way? I, I, I want to believe that there's a third way here. Which I want is... to. <laughs> and that's
1: why, I, that's why I'm having this discussion with you.
0: And my, my last
1: point was exactly about that, that libertarians, since I'm in that movement, I have seen we have been a lot devised by the moral principle versus Pragmatic reality, and right. the be the best example with that is Stefan Molyneux's uh, standpoint. In 2012, Stefan Molyneux was 100 person in on the moral principle. He, he 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 was attacking and criticizing everybody that supported Ron Paul campaign. Yes. And pain. Yeah. And. He said that there is no way you can use the state to make it uh, to make it smaller. It's like joining the the mafia, blah blah blah. And even at that point, I tended to agree with him. But I realized I, I, in my mind, I told myself there will be situations that you're not supporting a lesser evil. You're just taking it because you know there is no other choice. That doesn't mean you support it. Like supporting Ron Paul in 2012. Anyway, we sadly we knew he was was not going to be elected, but we knew that his message really helped a lot of people to become libertarian. The same thing for you with with your with your party. Uh, So but now Stefan Molyneux in 2016 has radically changed. He's not supporting a libertarian. He was supporting Trump, which is not a libertarian. Obviously Trump I think is yep. a lesser evil compared to Clinton. But the right. way you you see how Stefan Molyneux is supporting Trump right now even me and I still like Stefan but sometimes I find it I find it disturbing and the kind of people that are following Stefan Molyneux today versus 8 years ago it's not the same kind of people. Yeah. There's a lot of ethno nationalist and people that would be very sympathetic to fascism, because what Trump is doing in many ways is fascism or some flavor of it. Right. But, as I said, why, why did people voted for Trump? Because they're afraid of the left. They're afraid yes. of the degeneracy. They, they, they hate to see that the, the, their kids have to, uh, to have some drag queen indoctrination in public school. Uh, they're they're afraid of what the antifa uh, thing. So I, I got it. You know, me at the last election, I didn't vote. I did I, 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 I didn't vote, and some of those previous uh, anarchist friends that now turned to uh, a pro-right wing statist got angry at me for that. So but I yeah. understand why those people, uh, maybe Stephane Molyneux realized that, because of the the immigration where immigrate most immigrants vote left he was afraid of what it will do cuz the state,
0: sure. if the well, state, well yeah is... to to him it's it's again we're, it's coming back to survival it's like he feels like there's no choice now but to do this yeah. right i mean up until trump came along he was kind of of the opinion that liberty is a, a intergenerate or a long term generational process of exactly. peaceful parenting, right? That's the only way we're going to get to a libertarian society. But he sees that trend line um, being under attack as uh, leftism grows, as the power of the state grows. And I think he viewed Trump as a wrecking ball against that, perhaps. He you know, that and
1: he, he, he realized there were no time for that.
0: Right, right. And then... I, I, I don't know, it's hard to... It's kind of hard to argue that, but at the same time, I see what I see with Trump is, uh, you know, he's he's growing the debt <laughs> tremendously. <laughs> right? I, mean, really? I mean, it seems it seems like it, th- there's no coming back from the direction that, that that the U.S. and Western civilization is is headed. Like Trump isn't the savior that
1: yeah. everyone
0: made him out to be, and so it seems like at at the end there's going to be conflict, and the conflict lines are being drawn between reactionaries and the left, and you know, the reactionaries are probably going to win. And, um, you know, life would be probably better under <laughs> the reactionaries than under the the left that continues yeah. to want to. But it's a, it's, a, it's
1: a sad choice. It's like being yeah. it's, it's like I think it's like being a slave. Imagine you're a, you're a slave under the Roman Empire and you have the choice between working in a salt mine where your life expectancy is a few years or you have the choice to be a slave as a servant of a rich guy. Where you, li- you, where your your life is not threatened, you're gonna but choose. You, but
0: you know there there has been one one I guess um, exception to this left versus right s- struggle uh, throughout history here, and that is the that that you know America was essentially formed when a bunch of libertarians shot a bunch of conservatives and formed mm-hmm. their own country, right? Yeah. So the U.S. started as a very libertarian republic, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, it's now growing into something else, which just adds yeah. fuel to the fascist fire that, you see, yeah. libertarianism leads to de- de- degeneracy over time. Well, I mean, I, I have never seen a fascist state sus- being sustained either. So mm-hmm. I – and like I told my friend, I don't see how – like you want to give the power of the state – you want to give the state all this power. Like he has no problem, for example, with public education. He says, this is what the kids need to learn in public school, you know, patriotism, this, that, the next thing I said, well, that may be fine for like one generation or, or for like a decade or something, but anytime, how how do you stop the government from being corrupted from what your ideal is? Like, even if you think your ideal is awesome and I don't think it's awesome, but let's say that's what you want to maintain for your empire. Um, or, or your imperium, as he called it. Well, that that is like the state needs to to destroy the family in order to support itself. So over time, public schools will destroy the family, just like they they've done here. I mean, public stu- schools started in Prussia, and Prussia, exactly. and it was created to design to create this wonderful military men, which, as you pointed out, crushed yeah. the French. Right, yeah. so it, it worked very well, but public <laughs> schools have now become like. a a place for Marxist degeneracy. And of course it has to be that way because everything the state runs, it's just like a business. Like everything the business does is to grow the business and the state is no different. It's an enterprise and everything it does because, and, and it's not like it consciously goes there. It's not like the rulers say, well, we need to corrupt things to give me more power. It's like, I want to win another term or, I want to entrench myself in this bureaucracy. I don't want my, I want to keep my wage to keep going up. I never want to lose my job. I want job security. And so I'm going to do, I'm going to support, unconsciously support the policies that are going to, keep me in my position and those policies are always going to be to disempower the people and to centralize power in the state and in the bureaucracy and in the swamp kind of so to speak so how do you stop that and and anytime you support statism state the state is by definition you're right you're right the biggest the biggest parasite on civilization on decency on culture on everything that that matters to anyone And, uh, of course, if you feed that parasite, it's just going to want to keep growing. So we need to starve the parasite. That's the only way to preserve all the things that you care about.
1: That's why, from the beginning, I wanted to say that I don't don't support fascism because I know that that, that what it is. In fact, Ludwig von Mises called it, it, in fact, he said, Ludwig von Mises was obviously the enemy of socialism, and he said that there were two kinds of socialism: the Russian socialism, which is communism, where the government controls everything and owns everything. And he said there is the German socialism that is called fascism, where in name you can have private property, but the government is telling you what to do with it. And I would say that the, the, that German socialism is mostly what we have in the West, with some different flavor of what the government is telling you to do. When it's a right-wing government, they want the government to tell you that. While when you have a left-wing government, they want the go- they want the government to tell people to do other things.
0: Right. I, and, I just want to sh- I want to share a meme here with you that you reminded me of. Um, this this was just an example. The, the, to me, the Russian communists of the 1950s don't look that yeah. much different than the fascists of today, right? <laughs> you know, <the> yeah. mother- <laughs> proud of his nation's military, yeah. strong support of nuclear arms, strong police force, supports uh, criminalization of homosexuality, uh, thinks drug users should be shot without trial, thinks feminism divides the working class. And you compare that with communists of today, um, you know, the, like th- these communists in russia are the ones that killed my ancestors i mean they ran my, my great-grandfather ran for his life so i'm no supporter of this ideology whether you call it russian communism or modern day fascism uh, to me it looks almost identical but um yeah anyways i thought again I...
1: the the, communi- the the communist the communism of lenin and stalin is very different in, in some way than the cultural marxist of today sure. And sure. the division came uh, after the Second and, World War. And my War. friend would
0: say that liberalism is what created yeah. the modern uh, <laughs> cultural Marxism of today. It's, or
1: it's, it's funny because I have, I have a friend but but exactly.
0: I, I I told him I said look it's probably more in line with postmodernism right this idea exactly. that there's no universalism exactly. there's no yeah. truth it's all yeah. by feels and that's exactly what you're promoting there son you are promoting the idea that uh, universalism these universal truths or whatever uh, ought to be abolished and that we ought to have yeah. this irrational philosophy of mysticism and everything well that perfectly describes SJWism today so exactly. you know you both emerge from postmodernism as far mm-hmm. as I can tell but.
1: And you know, I, I I, I saw, I remember seeing a, the, the the equivalent meme. It was a, What what a Nazi was in a, the 1930s and a neo-Nazi today. The neo-Nazi of today, you see, like the, the punk guy, that is drunk, that is uh, that wears a tattoo and spike, right,
0: right, that
1: right. Uh, that has nothing in life.
0: Oh by the way my buddy had his spikes confiscated at the airport he had spikes on his jacket <laughs> Here, anyway yeah. sorry and
1: compared out. to the to the SS guard that was in his full uniform clean cut that was right. very different than the neo nazi so uh, again what I find funny is that recently I I have a friend who is a hardcore communist a real and he was getting into conflict with Postmodernists or social justice warriors, because they were arguing against trans rights, and the the, the communist was saying, "Yeah, but the trans in, 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 in are, are 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 not the trans violating women's rights in some ways." And now they start they start just yelling sure. name at each other.
0: So yeah, well, part, part, part of me is just kind of hoping that what we're seeing here with the these kind of degenerates on the left and the right is that th- this is the result of kind of fatherlessness or absent yeah. father, absent fatherhood, I guess in the family. And it's, uh, it, they're kind of LARPing, right? They're live action role-playing what they think, uh, a communist and what a fa- fascist is maybe, and maybe what, what'll happen. And, you know, one of the positive signs I saw with my buddy is that he's, trying to do things to get his house in order. He's retreating from posting online so much. He's going to the gym. He's trying to work on his career, start a family, all these things. And I I suspect that once you buckle down and take on some responsibility, a lot of this... LARPing at uh, different political ideologies starts to fade away and you start to realize that <laughs> rationality and truth matter because that's what help you flourish. But um, but we shall see. But anyways, Manuel, we've been going for about 45 minutes. Yes. Um, and I appreciate you joining us. Do you have any last thoughts or uh, nations no. uh, for the thank audience? Thank you very
1: much. Again, uh, my, my my goal today was not to defend fascism, but just to bring it, bring it back into perspective that... Fascism I can understand because fascism is a reaction to right. the danger of communism uh, it's the, the fascist regime were clearly less evil yeah. than communist regimes and in, in many ways our own regimes are a lot closer today to what fascism it uh, are, yeah are closer to, to to the definition of fascism without the government intervention. But that's not a solution. That's really yeah.
0: not a solution. Well, yeah, and I, I'll just say, you know, one of the things that always struck me as kind of weird is is the the idea of being proud about being a reactionary. You know, it, it's to me it's almost like someone's pulling your strings, right? Like we only exist because communism exists. Okay so so you're basically a puppet of the communists like you are being totally controlled by external forces you have no internal direction no sense of destiny no sense of self-agency mm-hmm. like th- this is the thing that i want people to get out of is like we're continually focused on the external worlds and libertarians are certainly guilty of this as well i i was that i can't be happy i can't have freedom until we restrain government that yeah. that's true in one sense but it it it's not a helpful life philosophy. What I have to do is learn to take more responsibility, learn to be more disciplined, learn how to, grow my own sphere of freedom in my own personal life and um, and focus on taking charge of it and not, you know, because if all my focus is out there on external forces and I'm just simply reacting to them, I am not the, the master of my own destiny. I am not in charge of my life. I have ceded my liberty. And so I'll, I'll leave it there. Manuel, thank you
1: very uh, I much. Last, uh, yeah, I, I, I had us. a last thought I asked for you. Yeah, uh, a, a reason why I, I abandoned communism, Marxism when I realized it was so irrational. It's, it's, yeah. it's a so irrational ideology. And you know, recently with the Indian, uh, some in, um, Indian blocking railways in Canada?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I realized how communists are dumb in some way because you, 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 most leftists defend the Indians uh, doing what they do, of course. And right. I realized that those leftists that are... Nominally against private property they, they 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 will say that it's not fair that an intra, an, intra, an an entrepreneur will own its company because he got richer you, you know all that narrative yeah. but at the same time they consider that all of north america belong to the, um, the, to the to the to the natives which which is which is silly you got it
0: yeah, you betcha. Uh, uh, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, but this is the left, right? They, they will use, uh, they, they will embrace property rights when it serves their cause and they will yeah, decry it when they don't. So, I mean, it's all about power to them. But it's so and,
1: easy to debunk how those people are stupid. But I can understand why, if they are that stupid and they don't realize all the contradiction, they are dangerous. That's that that's, My final thought will be right. that. I understand right. why, I, I'm not saying I support, but I understand why fascism can be attractive against them if they can get to power. In Quebec, we have 10 members of parliament uh, called Quebec Solidaire, Solidarité Quebec, that are almost our core right. communists. They are crazy.
0: Yes. Well, and, and you can fight, apparently, you can fight irrationality with another irrational ideology right it, it's fighting fire with fire but i i yeah. would posit, as a libertarian that you can also fight fire with water and that's, that's actually the best do. way that's to fight water, to fight fire and that's uh, you know i can speak as a firefighter we very rarely use fire to yeah. fight fire it doesn't work all that well it does yeah. work sometimes but water works much better so thank you manuel i appreciate, appreciate it him. keep fighting a good fight and uh, i have been, uh, I guess inspired to keep pushing harder because right now we can still talk. The conflict hasn't begun. We don't need to resort to violence. We don't need to pick sides. We can encourage rationality and hope to grow a body of libertarians that will appeal to people's rationality and, 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 bring peace to a, a conflict-ridden world and find chart our, our course to the stars in the future. And the only way to do that is through peace and cooperation. Libertarianism offers that. And I hope that, uh, that cooler heads prevail. So thank you, Manuel. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.